Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance. And perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, Jesus. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. So I want to begin this teaching by asking a question, by provoking a question for you to think about. How do you prove love, right? Because this is what it's about when we get down to it. How do you prove love? You know, how do you prove love? How do you prove to someone that you love him or her? You know, in medieval times, a man would bend a silver coin and give it to his bride-to-be as a promise to show him, you know what, I'm willing to give my life to you. And that coin cost him something. It, it was valuable, right? This is similar in some ways to a man giving an expensive engagement ring, those who are married, right? Can we have a witness to that? If you're married, you know, when I got married, I was dead broke. And uh, I don't even know where my ring is at. Um, the ring that I had when we got married, it's, I think it was like a, a Walmart or a Kmart ring, just, that's a whole different story, so, but it cost something, even though it didn't cost very much, it cost me something, and so that's similar to what they did back then. In both cases, this is wealth not easily spent. You know, it takes a lot of commitment to be married, Right? At the core of this, it's a demonstration of love that is proven by actions and not simply words. So we prove our love for those in our lives depending on the relationships that we're in. Is that right? Like for me, I'm a father. I have my daughter. I love her. And it's different. I have a different love for my daughter as I do for my wife. It's a different type of love. Um, I'm a son. I love my mom and dad. And I love them a certain way. I have brothers and sisters, and I love them a certain way. Then I have friends. I've got the family of God. I have y'all. And our love is different uh, depending on the relationship we're in. So what about you? Who are the people that you love most in your life? Husbands, wives, moms, dads, right? Our kids, your puppies, I guess. So what about you, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, sons, daughters? We all have different relationships in our lives, and we all express our love differently depending on the relationships that we're in. Is that right? Okay, think about how we prove our love in the relationships we're in. And if we're honest, guys, more than often we love according to what we get out of the relationship. At least for me, I do. Like, I love my daughter, my, and she's, she's great. You know, she does almost everything I tell her to do that benefits her. Um, you know, when the house is messy, I love her more when she cleans up the house. <laughs> I love her. My love doesn't change for her, but, you know, if she messes up, I'm like, I love her less at that time because she messed up on something. So it changes. 
It changes. But, you know, she's your daughter. She's your kid. And you love your kids regardless of how messed up, screwed up they are. You still love them because they're your kids. Right? So I love my wife a certain way. You know, we've been married going on 21 years. And so our love has changed from the time we were married, the time from our first year to the second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way up till now. It's gotten stronger. I love her more. And she is the one person that knows everything about me. She knows everything about me, like my faults, when I'm mad, when I'm sad, or when I'm not talking. She could just like, "Mm, I can read your mind. This is what you're thinking, because she knows me intimately, right? And, uh, and that's how we express our love. It's conditional. You know, somebody could say, oh, my love's not conditional. Oh, really? Well, hand me all your stuff. You love me. Give me everything you have. Oh, wait. Uh, no, no, thanks. Conditional, depending on the relationship we're in. So this morning, we'll see God's proven love for us according to the scriptures that we just read. Our lesson aims to show us three points. I want to get out three points from this lesson that we can take away and encourage us to love him more this week and to love each other. So the first point, our lesson aims to show us the cross saves us, right? The cross saves us. Point number two. The cross gives us hope. The cross gives us hope. Point number three, the cross proves, demonstrates God's love for us. God proves his love for us by the cross. And just the key verse out of all the scriptures that we read, Romans 5.5 is really neat. Um, It says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I would encourage you, you know, jot that scripture down. If you have a phone, you know, they have these really neat things called apps, Bible apps. You could download a Bible app, like I could pull it up on my phone while I'm at work or out and about, and it will actually tell you um, the verse that you want to memorize or think about through your week. So that's a really, really neat tool. So Romans 5.5 would probably be a good verse for us to be encouraged by, okay? All right, Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As Ben always says, Pastor Ben always says, when you see therefore, we go back to see what it's there for. Basically, Paul is bridging the thought pattern of what he wants us to understand why it's there for, Right? In light of what you just heard, it's a bridge between the chapters. Faith is the big picture of what God, of what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand and know about what Paul is talking about. Romans 1.17 states, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Everybody knows that. The just shall live by faith. Uh, Romans chapter 4 verse 2 states, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Romans 4, 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So we see the big picture Paul wants everyone to understand that we come to God by faith. By faith. Therefore, having been justified by faith, what is justify? To declare, pronounce one to be just or righteous. Because in order to have a relationship with God, you have to be justified. Justified. To declare one to be righteous. From what? What do we need to be justified from? Sin, right? And we've all sinned. You know, when I was a little kid, um, and this, you know, I wasn't saved, so don't judge me. I was probably about, I don't know, nine, ten years old. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a 
LMS Church. It's a, what is it? London Missionary Society Samoan Church. So very religious, very uh, legalistic where I, where I grew up as far as church-wise. So anyways, we had this new building, and I was 10 with a bunch of other kids from the church families. And so they had just opened up a new 7-Eleven right next door. And so we were at church, and our parents were like, hey, get out of here. It's, it's uh, the important time for the adults to talk. So we all, all the kids went out to play and stuff. And so we go to the 7-Eleven, and we stole a candy bar. Like, I, I, I've never, like, felt so much guilt in my life because the first time you steal something, it's like your conscience just sears at you. You know you've done wrong. Or even if you're a small child, you know, even with my daughter, I used to always tell her, you have something to tell me? You know, it's, it's a way of probing her, like, have you done something wrong? You know, you can confess now, right? So we, God puts those in, into our consciousness. You know, if you do something bad, man, you could do, like, the bad thing over and over again, then, then you become seared to it. You become so used to it that it doesn't matter. Unfortunately, we see that in our world today. It's just like getting worse and worse. So we're justified from sin. If you're a sinner, you need to be justified to have a relationship with God. You know, God's just not going to take you as you are. You need a Savior from what? Sin. So when we sin, there's going to be a judgment of God, right? The Bible talks about there's going to be a great judgment for every single person who doesn't know God. Um, and that's where the wrath of God comes from. And that's where death and hell come from. So Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. and We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Um, it's more than a statement. Have you ever heard the statement? It's justification is just as, just as if you've never sinned, right? Just as if you never sinned. But to me, it's more, it's realizing, it's more than that. It's realizing we're guilty and we deserve the wrath of God, death, hell, and judgment. God demands judgment for sin that you and I can't pay. There needs to be a, an atonement. Uh, before Jesus came, there was an atonement given once a year, and the people could go and have their sins atoned for, covered up until Jesus died on the cross. So there needed to be a payment for sins, a satisfaction that only Jesus' blood can provide to satisfy the wrath of God because the wrath of God in order for us to have a relationship with God. Because of the cross, Jesus' life and death, his blood, we were and are justified by faith. Do you believe that this morning? Do we understand that this morning? Sometimes as believers, we don't understand that we're justified. You know, you could sin. And not knowingly, and you could sin and knowingly sin. But understand this, the more you do that, the more, you know, you're only separating yourself from God. Not, God hasn't moved. God's never moved. It's us. It's like, you know, I know I'm going to do wrong, God, but I don't care. And the more you do it, it's going to hurt your relationship with God. So by faith, we come to God by faith. And what is faith? We simply take God by his word, right? We simply take God by his word. Faith is a firm belief in something for which there is no proof yet. A strong conviction in something to be true. And not only that, but acting on it. So Hebrews 11.1, 1, the definition uh, the Bible gives for faith is, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's a conviction. You have a strong conviction, a strong belief that what the word of God says in his word, you can apply it to yourself. So it's a strong conviction. By faith, we come to God. So we see that we are justified by faith because we've sinned. We have been justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ and we have peace. We have peace with God. Okay, that's the result of us being justified to have a relationship with God. And now God gives us peace. It's not the peace of God because that's something totally different. It's peace with God. The result of our justification by faith is peace with God. This peace is more than what we usually define peace to be as in a hostile environment. Have you ever been in a hostile situation? There's just no peace. 
When I'm at work and I have to deal with customers, you know, it's not a peaceful situation because they're mad about something. And I have, like, I can have in a situation where I can bring peace to the situation. Um, so it's more than, you know, it's, it's more than being in a hostile environment or being in a tense filled situation or even in a peace treaty. So rather, it's an Old Testament kind of peace as explained by the Hebrew word shalom, shalom. So in this sense, peace has the meaning of satisfaction or payment for an offense, right? Have you ever wronged somebody and you know you did the wrong? In order to make peace, you have to bring peace to them in order to correct the situation. So that's what the Bible is telling us here. So in this sense, peace has the meaning of satisfaction or payment for an offense. For example, in Leviticus chapter 24, 21, it states that a person who kills another's animal must replace it. This half verse uses the verb form of shalom, which is central to this process of making peace with another. Making peace with God is not just simply saying, and we all do this, God, I'm not going to fight you anymore. I want peace in my life. At least I do. According to Paul, some sort of restitution must occur to have peace with God. And that restitution happens with our Lord Jesus Christ, what he did. He is the payment. He is our peace. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says, For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. So Jesus is our peace. We don't just come to God like before, you know, we're sinners and, you know, God, I want to have a relationship with you. And God says, no, I can't have that because you're sinful. And there's no way for you to have a relationship with me without having a restitution or a payment done because I'm a holy God. That's where Jesus comes in and he's the ultimate sacrifice for us. So we thank him for that. So we come to God through Jesus by faith. Jesus is the only way to have peace with God. Jesus holds the key to peace with God. Jesus is the atonement, the covering up. He's more than that. He took it away. Do you understand that? He took all your sins away. Jesus, he is the payment that satisfies the wrath of God and justifies us before a holy God. Sometimes we forget that God is holy. Like we can't just... You know, sometimes we just uh, we just discount his holiness. It's like, oh, I can I can mess around here and come to him here. Like you can live how you want to during the week, and then Sunday comes, I can go to church and make myself right with God. Are you messed up? I messed up. Sometimes I do that. I'm like, man, that's no way I have a, a, a relationship with God, right? That is no way to have a relationship with God. So. We only come to God through Jesus because he justifies us before a holy God. Now, we don't come to God because of our good works, right? Our heritage, our Bible reading, our Bible studies, our showing up here this morning at church. Those are all good things we need to do as believers because the Bible tells us that. But that doesn't make peace with God. That does, that's not what made us have a relationship with God through Jesus. Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. So there's nothing we can do, guys, that will satisfy the wrath of God except the blood of Jesus. And sometimes as a believer, I forget that. There was a great sacrifice for you and me. Somebody died. And that somebody was Jesus. Nothing we can do will satisfy the wrath of God except the blood of Jesus. He is the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, guys? That's why I love the book of Romans. It's so rich. It's like you can, you know, uh, theologians, people who study the Bible, who are theologists, you know, they write books upon books of what we just covered. And yet, us as believers, we can go straight to the source and read it for ourselves. And it is rich. Like we're having meat and potatoes this morning. Amen. Not no sugar stuff that's, you know, you're going to be hungry later. This is like meat. So Romans 5.2. 
through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory. So now that we have peace with God, we have access to God. So next week, next Sunday is the Super Bowl, right? So if you go to the Super Bowl and you don't have a ticket, you don't have access to watch the game. Access to something. So the word access gives a picture of being in the presence of God. Ephesians 2.18 says, For through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Isn't that wonderful? We have access straight to the Father. Access to God was limited under the law of Moses. So direct access to God's presence in the temple of the Holy of Holies was reserved for the high priest. And he could claim that access but once a year. Wow, how, how far has God brought us in our relationship with him? And you could see the background in this in Leviticus chapter 16 and Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews is just a great book. Uh, bringing up all the Old Testament things and, and uh, fulfilling them. So if you want a background of that. But remember, the curtain of the temple has been torn open through the death of Jesus, through the death of Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, verse 51 says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Hebrews ten nineteen states, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, and Hebrews ten twenty by a new and living way which he consecrated, made anew for us through the veil, and the veil is his flesh. So before Jesus came, they had this veil, and you couldn't enter, and you couldn't have access to God, but once a year through the priest, the sacrifices, the offerings, they couldn't have direct access like we have today's guys. We have access, direct access to God. And he says for us to come boldly, for us to not be ashamed of what you've done, to come to him. And sometimes he's more willing to chase us than we are to run to him when we have uh, life situations, right? Okay, so we have access to God because we have been justified by faith. We are declared righteous. We have peace with God. We're no longer enemies, and we're not under the wrath of God. And this is not by our own efforts, right? It's through Jesus only, but by the grace of God. And what is grace? When you're justified, when you have peace, when you have access to the one that holds it all, wouldn't you consider that to be grace? It's grace. It's like, it's like when we flew out to Hawaii, we flew out, you know, the Pacific Ocean is so vast. And, um, and you could just imagine, you know, that's like God's grace. You could see this big old ocean, that's grace, and you're dealing with things down here, and all you have to do is dive into it. It's like you just dive into grace. And sometimes we don't want to go to grace because we're living sinful lives and we're doing sinful things and we want to please our flesh. And grace is there available for us to jump in and be cleansed, but yet we like where we're at. But grace is available. He says, come freely to me. So we stand in God's grace. We are spiritually able to stand in God's presence to have a living, real relationship with God despite our sins. This should bring us great joy and hope since, since uh, Jesus removed the curse of sin. And we're no longer under the wrath of God, but now under grace. We're now under grace. We don't need to fear being in God's presence. Have you ever felt like that? Like you've messed up and you just, you just don't want to go to God because there's shame there, there's doubt, there's fear. But yet there's a grace of ocean that all we got to do is come boldly before him, confess, jump into his grace, and he cleans us up, and then we're all right. You are all right when you are doing those things. We just don't realize that. When we have the mindset that we are justified, we don't want to do all those crazy things, right? We want to live a life that's pleasing to God. We stand in his grace. And not only that, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we can rejoice in the fact that whatever we are like today, guys, one of the benefits of having been justified is the hope that one day we shall be like Jesus. We shall be like Jesus one day. 
Romans 8.29 states, for, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to, to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn, firstborn among many brethren. So where his brethren were coming, God, that's, that's just, it blows me away what the scripture says who we are. And sometimes we're walking down here, we're up here, we're down here, but God says who we are, our identity is found in him. And sometimes we put on our identity and everything else, but what he says who we are. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him, Jesus, for who he is. And everyone who has this hope in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. So when you know you belong to the king, you know you're the son of a king and you, and you are um, righteous and justified, we should walk in that. We don't need to be messing around with the garbage down here. You know, God's already given us everything and we want to be down here with the garbage. No, we need to live above that. We need to be pure in the way that we live. So hope is concrete in Jesus that we will be like him. We can now anticipate the future with hope if we choose to stand in his grace. Sometimes we put our hope in, in false things. You know, sometimes we put our hope in men, in our positions, in, in our education, in our families, in, you know, in anything else but Jesus. That's false hope, guys. It's false hope. We need to put our hope in Jesus alone. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. That's kind of hard to do. We glory in tribulation, Paul is telling. Tribulation, trials. Have you ever, have you ever been in a situation where your spirit is just burdened? There's no peace because, you know, it's a situation where you're going through a trial. You know, maybe something medical has happened. Uh, you're going through something financially. You're trying to pay a bill. You don't have money, and it just troubles you. You can't make a car payment. You can't make a house payment. You know, those are trials. We, go, we experience those things. Paul, but here, Paul knows that the Christians in Rome are experiencing tribulations for their faith in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, 5 through 7 states, we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, through na- though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith that is real, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The tribulations for the Christians in Rome are real, guys. They are basically being hunted down and killed just because they confess Jesus. I don't experience that here in Lubbock. Nobody's chasing me because I know Jesus. You know, our brothers and sisters, maybe in, uh, you know, countries where, you know, they're being persecuted because there's other religions in play that want to squash them out. They feel it, but I don't feel that here in Lubbock, do you? I don't feel persecuted. You know, somebody may say, oh, he's a, he's a Bible thumper or a, whatever they want to say. I don't care. But I, I, I don't feel threatened. My life doesn't feel threatened here in Lubbock, Texas. You know, I don't experience, I'm not experiencing what these guys are experiencing that Paul's writing to them about. So sometimes trials must be patiently endured, persevered, steadfast, trusting in God. You know, we all have trials in life, and trials are hard. I remember one time my daughter, when she was just, she was about three years old, and uh, we're in California, and she like went into a coma, coma state, and she was in, I mean, she basically, the doctors didn't know what was happening with her. For like three days, she was like in a coma. We didn't know, we didn't know what type of news they were going to give us. It was basically just wait, and that was a 
that was really, really trying. You talk about seeking God. In that time, it was like, the doctors didn't have answers. Nobody could comfort me. And there was a time where, you know, you go to God and you're just like, God, what are you doing? You know, take me. If you take her, you know what I mean? For those who of us have kids, it's like, that's a, that's a trial. You know, that's a trial. So persevering tribulations and hardships of this life builds our character. It's who we become. It's who we become, guys. Tribulation produces in us a character of faith to trust God in all things, good, bad, ugly, and the end result is hope. It's hope. Jesus is our hope. Because as we have persevered through trials in the past, we will be able to persevere in the future. Pain is not a sign that God has abandoned us. You know, when I was going through that, it was painful. But I didn't feel abandoned by God. I felt comforted by God just going to him in that situation. Pain's not a sign that God has abandoned us. Our hope can never be taken away from us, for it is based on the gracious expression of God's love through the giving of his son, Jesus, our Savior. Romans 5.5. 5. See, we're almost there, guys. We're halfway through going through 11. Hope does not, hope, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us, right? So hope here is based on God's love for us. And his hope will and never disappoint us, right? We can put our hope in false things. Like you could have hope for something like, uh, like for instance, Paul, he could put his hope in false things. He could say, man, I hope the Rams win next week. That's false hope because what if they lose? <laughs> what if they lose? You know, you're putting your hope in false things, things that really don't have any substance to it. Job 27 verse 8 says, For what is the hope of the hypocrite or the ungodly or the sinful person Though he may gain much in this world, if God takes away his life. So we work all this time and we build things up for our little kingdoms here on earth. And we put all our hope in those things. And yet God says, oh yeah, you, you put your hope in those things? Wow, okay. What if you die tomorrow? Who's going to get all those things? You put all your hope in those things. And you die, and now your all your hope is left here on earth for somebody else to hope on. <laughs> it's crazy. Second Thessalonians two sixteen, we have an everlasting hope. States this: Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, we have unashamed hope. Philippians one twenty. States, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for, for Jesus Christ, as I have been in the past, Paul is writing. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. Is that, is that our thoughts this morning? That we trust that we can live a life that could be pleasing to God? I strive for that every single day, no matter who's watching. We should all be an audience of one person. I care less who's, who, what other people are doing or who they're worshiping. I'm trying to worship by the way I live, right? Because people watch you. So we have the unashamed hope. And not only that, God poured his love on us, and he gave us the Holy Spirit, the gift that he sealed us with. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So if you put your faith in Jesus, you're a son, you're a daughter of the King. Galatians 4, 6 states, And because you are sons, God has set forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. We come to the Father saying, Dad, 
you know, we come as as our as my daughter comes to me when she's in trouble. You know, she doesn't have to come in. Oh, Taoist dad, would you please? No, she comes running. Dad, help me. When she was a little kid, dad, help me. I'm like, get over here. I'm going to help you. I don't say, oh, no, you don't come like that. You got to come a certain way. Okay, you come through this way. Okay, now you can enter, and now I can help you. God says, come. Come. Romans 8, 14 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. We are sons of God. Second Corinthians 1, 22, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts. The Holy Spirit sealed us. The moment you gave your life to God, the Holy Spirit poured God's love in your hearts and he sealed us like nothing. Have you ever gotten two pieces of paper, had glue on them, you stuck them together? They're, well, they're not sealed because you could tear them apart. But it's sealed like there's nothing that could take away God's love for you and me. Even though we think things may take it away, there's nothing that can take it away. So Romans 5.5, 5, hope is based on God's love for us. God's love is poured out on us. God's love is given by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God for us, to us. And that brings us great encouragement. Okay, Romans 5.6, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So basically, we were helpless, without strength or weak, often translated in the New Testament as a physical illness, afflictions of those in need of healing. Paul uses it here to refer to us spiritually as being sick, right? Our weakness when it comes to obeying the will of God, we are spiritually sick. Have you ever been so sick that you couldn't get up and do like normal things? You know, when I get so sick uh, going through a flu or whatnot, man, the last thing I want to do is anything because I, I don't have the strength to do that. Spiritually, that's how we are. We don't have the strength to save ourselves. So what is the, what is the solution? The answer in that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Yes, you are ungodly. You are a sinner. You were. We were helpless. Let's be very clear. Those who are weak are the ungodly. Our spiritual weakness has brought us to a contempt for God, a frightening and dark, dangerous lack of reverence and awe for the king of the universe. Yet despite this hateful disrespect that we have before we came to know God, God has done something for us that only he can do. He sent his son Jesus to die for you and me. He sent Jesus to die because we were weak. We couldn't save ourselves. Romans 5, 7 states, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. It's very interesting. Right before, Paul kind of contrasts verse, uh, verse 6 from this verse. Paul slows down a little and makes the point of why it's an extraordinary thing for Jesus to die for us sinners, right? It would be unusual for someone to give his or her life for another, even for a righteous person. Paul says it's within the realm of possibility for one to sacrifice his life for an extremely good person. But everyone knows, you know, that's that's more likely than not. Like, I would give my life for my daughter, my wife, or somebody I truly love. But for somebody who's been hateful and was my enemy, it'd be kind of hard for me to give my life for that person. But yet, we were in the same boat. We were that sinful, hateful person towards God. And yet, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. Uh, in this example, just to make the point come across, in the 1960s, former President Dwight D. Eisenhower suffered a series of heart attacks and was near death. At the time, a new medical procedure was making headlines, heart transplants. Many World War uh, II veterans who had served under Eisenhower offered to donate their own healthy hearts for their beloved former commander. As an example of someone daring to die for a good man. None of these well-intended offers were accepted, of course, but the willingness to die for another man made headlines. Hence, Paul's point right here. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. We're getting there. I think we're on third base. We're about to come home because it's 10, 12 right now. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
We are sinners. We were sinners, guys. Jesus did not come to die because we were good people worthy to be saved from judgment because we weren't. We were far off from God. We were God's enemies. We were God's enemy, far from God, weak without strength, helpless in need of a Savior. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Who can doubt God's love when realizing that he freely gave his son Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins? The great mystery is why God loves us so much. Why does he love us so much? I always ask that question. God, why do you love me so much? He chooses to love us even though we deserve exactly the opposite. Isn't that love? God, we deserve exactly the opposite, but God loves us. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. 1 John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 states, By this we know love, because he laid down his life, Jesus, for us, and we also to lay down our lives for our brethren. So we see Jesus' example. He's saying we should lay down our lives for one another. You know, it may not be physically, but we should cover each other. We should, you know, when, when somebody's speaking ill will of your brother or sister, we, shouldn't, we should be the ones who brings love to that situation, right? We should bring love, Jesus' love because he loved us. That's how we should act towards one another in the church. It's sad to say that the church has a reputation of shooting their own. Have you ever, have you ever heard that? They have the reput- we have the reputation that when somebody's wounded, we put them in the middle and we shoot them. Ain't that a terrible accident? That's like, I heard that, I was like, boy, that's, man, that doesn't represent God well at all. Who wants that kind of love? I sure don't, so we should do a better job of loving our brothers and sisters. In 1 John 4, 10, it says, And this is love, that now that we love God, but that, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I had to practice that word, how to pronounce it. Basically, a sacrifice, an appeasement, a payment that satisfies the wrath of God. The sacrifice of Jesus at the cross that satisfied the demands of God's un, the God's holiness for the payment of sin. Appeasement. Romans 5.9 says, Much more than having now been justified by the blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So we're justified by the blood. We shall be saved. We shall be saved. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. My favorite verse, I had to memorize this when I first got saved because I was condemned with my thoughts and with the past. And God says all that stuff is washed away. Um, if you struggle with that in your mind, I would encourage you to memorize this verse. Therefore, now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who not walk according, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. John 5.24 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, Jesus is saying, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So we're not only we we're not only saved from our past. We're saved from the present things that we go through, and we are saved from the future wrath of God that's coming. And that should bring great joy to us. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies of God. Before we came to know God, we weren't his friends. We were far off. God says in his word, we were enemies. Colossians 1.21 states, And you who were once alienated, enemies in your mind, by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. So we were reconciled. What, the, what is reconciliation? Reconciliation, you have somebody who's been reconciled, who you have been reconciled with. Reconciled. You have, just, you have been justified. You have peace. You have access. We stand in God's grace. That brings us to a relationship. So we have a, a real relationship with our Father in heaven. So we're saved by his life. All right, Romans 5.11, here we go. Coming home base. And not only that, but we also 
rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So Paul wants us to know that that the people of faith should be people of hope, right? Sometimes we're people of faith, but we have no hope. We walk around like life is hopeless. I hear some brothers and sisters say, man, this is going on. They're always caught up in the negative things of life. I'm like, forget that. I know where I'm going, and this is where you should go. You know, we've got to bring God into the situation when there's negativity around us. So Paul concludes this section by saying that people of faith, you and me, and hope also rejoice in God. The word reconciled is used in the financial world of Paul's day to refer to paying up an account, making good what is deficient or old. It's not far removed from today's accounting world where reconciling accounts refers to making records come out evenly. The debt for sin is paid by God's son, Jesus. Our personal account with God the Father, a holy God, with all its sin debt, is paid off by the sacrificial death of Jesus, our Savior. This should bring us great joy and thanksgiving. We simply rejoice in God. So, our condition before salvation, we were helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies. What God did for us on the cross, Jesus died for the ungodly, which is us, we're sinners. God demonstrated his love. How? By the cross. He proved his love to us. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And that brings us into a relationship with the living God. Amen? Amen. Jesus is for us. Jesus is for you this, this morning. Jesus is for us. He's our great high priest. Jesus is for us. He's our advocate. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Ain't that encouraging? You, Jesus is right there encouraging, interceding for us. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the mediator between us and God. We don't have to come through once a year and sacrifice something. We just come to him because he loves us. We are his children. Jesus is the head of the body, his church. We are his church. We are his family. So God's love for us is more than promises or words, guys. He has proven his love by sending his only son to die for us while we were sinful, hostile, disobedient. The fact that the sinless one, Jesus, gave himself for sinners means that we need never doubt his love for us. So when, because, you know, we're just starting off the 2019 We're just starting off 2019, so when it seems like God has abandoned you in 2019, remember that he has proven his love for you, right? Because you're going to go through some trials in 2019. When you feel worthless and insignificant, remember that God has proven his love for you. God has proven his, his love for you. He does so now and forever. Remember, God poured his love into your hearts. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? And that's the encouragement I want to leave you with. That's the encouragement I want to leave you with, that God poured his love into your hearts, that no matter what you're going through this morning, Jesus is for you. And if you know he's for you, then we can go invite other people to come and be part of his family because of his love. Amen? Before we close out, I just want to say, um, please keep my mom in prayer. Her name is Mia. Uh, she's in Hawaii. She's uh, going through rehab right now. She had a, uh, arthritis, something very major that had to be flown from American Samoa, where they live, to Hawaii. So now she's rehabbing, recovering. But please keep her in your prayers and keep the body in prayer. Um, keep each other in prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll close this out. Dear God, we thank you so much for your incredible, amazing love. Thank you that we were, we are justified, declared righteous, 
God, that's an amazing thing. We can come boldly to you for all our cares, all our worries, all our concerns in this life, and that you hear us. You're faithful to walk with us, God. Thank you that we have direct access to you. We don't have to come through a certain situation or a priest or you, God. You tell us to come with our troubles and our concerns. You tell us to come. Thank you that we can come this morning, that we have direct access. We justify. We're cleansed. And Lord, it cost you everything. It cost you your son, Jesus. Help us not to take our lives, our, our relationship with you, God, for granted. That we could just be sinful people and live the way that we want to live. No, you tell us to live pure lives because you've made us pure. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your words. God, I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Not only did you pour out your love in our hearts, God, but you gave us the Holy Spirit. You sealed us with the Holy Spirit until that day of redemption, as your, as your Bible says, Lord. God, if that means dying on this earth and going to be with you, rejoice. That means that you come back for us while we're alive and well here on this earth, we rejoice. Thank you that the hope in you is not false. It's true. Thank you that we could stand in your grace, that no matter what we experience in this life, God, we could jump in the ocean of grace. Thank you that Jesus is for us. Thank you that we're cleansed, that we're purified. Thank you, God, for loving us. We praise you this morning. We honor you this morning. Help us to live lives that are worthy to the calling that you've called each and every one of us to live. Let us be the audience to one person, to you, God. Let us live our lives for you only. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.